Hi, this is Emily Ramshaw, Editor-in-Chief of the Texas Tribune. What you're about to hear is a bonus edition of the Tribcast, in which our social media manager, Bobby Blanchard, speaks with executive editor Ross Ramsey about his hot list of competitive primary races. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. My name is Bobby Blanchard, and I'm the Texas Tribune social media manager. And I'm joined today by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And we're going to be talking about Ross's hot list. Ross, you basically made a, a hot list of what primary races that you consider hot, so to speak, hence the name hot list. Yeah. Um, and um, we are going to talk about it, talk about what's on your list, take real questions. So if you have any questions, just drop them in the comments beneath this video, and we will get to them as soon as possible. Um, before we get to questions, though, I just um, kind of want to ask you, Ross, you know, you have three ranks in this hot list, hot, hotel, and hottest. Right. Um, what makes a race hot? What, why do you, what is your criteria? You know, this, this started, you know, probably 15 or 16 years ago with people asking me, you know, so there's all these races, which ones are you watching? Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like, you know, th that was kind of the original organizing question. And you realize that any time you look at a ballot, whether you're looking at city politics or state politics or national politics, well, that's not a race, and that's not a race, and I'm not paying attention to that. This one's competitive, and so I'm paying attention to that just because it's an interesting fight. This one's not necessarily competitive, but there's some drama, and it's fun to watch, so that's why I'm watching that. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you get a list of things that you're paying attention to, and that's the things that generally make these three lists. And then within that, you say, which of these are the races that are most and least deserving of attention of the races that deserve attention. And hot is, I've got my eye on this, it may or may not turn into something. Hotter is, this is pretty interesting, but it hadn't gotten to high pitch level yet. Mm -hmm. And hottest are the races that if you talk to, you know, like 10 out of 10 people in and around politics and, and this stuff, those are the races that everybody would go, yeah, that's that's a big race. And, so, and that's one that I'm paying attention mm -hmm. to. So it's not just competitiveness, but like newsworthiness is the main, is probably the overall. A campaign. lot of it is just the races that for one reason or another you're interested in. You know, you may have a race that's not competitive, but it illustrates some difference over a policy that's going to be in play for a while. You might have one that involves bigger than life personalities, and it's just fascinating to watch. Um, and then you have the races that are, you know, one party or one faction of a party trying to wrestle away a seat from another, and those are the really competitive ones. It's kind of like your water cooler races, I guess. Right. That's exactly right. Um, so how's your track record to this? On election day, all <laughs> these races going to actually be still interesting? No, there's always one or two on the hot list that you kind of go, why was that on there? And, you know, mm -hmm. you look at it later and you say, that was a 30-point race. Um, not all of them. That's not the only way to measure, because it might have been dramatic or interesting, even if it was a 30-point race. Some of the ones that, you know, there are some races out there. There's 217 contests mm -hmm. on the state ballot this year before you get to judges. That's just through the legislature. Right. And there's going to be a race in there somewhere that everybody just missed, including me, that turns out to be, you know, that Blanchard fellow got beat and nobody thought he was in any trouble. Um, nothing, Everyone thinks I'm in trouble. Nothing, <laughs> nothing personal. But um, so there'll be races that aren't on the list that, you know, in retrospect should have been. There'll be races that are on the list that in retrospect you'll go, huh, that was weird. Uh, but for the most part, you know, most of these do turn out to be competitive and interesting, even if they, even if the seats don't flip. Can you give an example of an old race that just, you know, maybe in last year's, you know, mid last elections caught a real surprise when the like, election day happened, um, on in Texas? I mean, a race that would not have made your hot list, but might have. Yeah. Uh, not off the top of my head, but there's always a race where you kind of look up. You know, these are usually not at the top of the ballot where right. everybody's paying attention. These are usually like, like you know, there's 150 state house races 
there are, at any given time, there's 31 seats in the state Senate. Half of them are on the ballot every time. And then there's 36 congressional seats. So there's always something where you don't, you miss something local. We're sitting mm-hmm. here in Austin and, you know, we try to get out of the bubble as best we can, but you don't know necessarily what's going on in Clear Lake or El Paso or Amarillo and you miss things. And then they show up on election day and you say, boy, I didn't see that coming. Some of them, people will come around later, experts will come around later and say, you should have caught that. And some of them catch all the experts off guard. Right. Okay. We're getting some real questions. We'll get to them in a second. Drop your questions on the Facebook um, comment stream. We'll get to them soon. Before we do that, I think a lot of the questions are going to be, why is not X, Y, or Z on your list? Why right. did these races make it? What is your criteria for what not makes one of this, your hot list? Hey, you know, you just, you basically, you know, the, the first thing I'll say about this, the big disclaimer on this <clears throat> And, you know, is that this is my list of the races that I'm watching right now. And mm-hmm. we, we change it every week. There'll be a new one out on Monday. We change it every week because you get new information. You know, that right. shouldn't have been on there. That should have been on there. You know, and you kind of have this water cooler conversation, as you put it, and things rise and fall that way. Um, my criteria is really, you know, you talk to as many people as you can talk to. And then you look at these races and you say, which of these do I think really deserve the most attention, middle attention, and lowest attention. But it's completely subjective. Okay. Kind of like figure skating. Right. I guess. Sorry. (laughs) Had to get that in, didn't you? I did. I had to. Um, So Richard um, has this comment. He takes issue with you, including HD 122, the Lyle Lawson seat. He says, judging by y'all signs, Lawson's going to clobble fails. Um, You know, he's talking about that race with Representative Lawson. Why is that race on your list? Anytime a sitting member of the legislature from the governor's party has drawn opposition from that governor, they're going to be on a hot list. Mm -hmm. It just drags attention to the race. That question's right. That questioner is right in terms of the competitiveness. The Larson race I have under hot and not hotter and hottest. Because I think Larson's probably going to prevail in that race. Mm -hmm. The reason it's on the list at all is because Greg Abbott has taken it upon himself to endorse the other guy and to throw rocks at Larson's head. Gotcha. Are those rocks doing any damage? Well, you don't know yet. Not yet. (laughs) But they Uh, could. There's time. The rocks from the governor. Voting voting starts on Tuesday. In another race that is on the list also, uh, the governor's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertising against Sarah Davis. Mm -hmm. There's only three sitting members of the legislature who've drawn the governor's ire, and they're all on my list. Gotcha. And um, regarding Sarah Davis, um, where is she on your hot list? Hot, hoddle, hottest? Like, where does she fall? I've got her on hotter Mm -hmm. um, right now. Um, That race could rise and, you know, rise or fall, depending on how it goes. Um, she's in a district where she's been very popular. She's uh, kind of battle-hardened. There are there are people in the legislature who get a race every time. Right. And they get to be normally every two years in, in close contact with their voters. And those people are usually better able to sustain an attack. Now, Sarah Davis is getting a strong attack from the governor. He's got his fourth ad up. He spent $161,000 so far that we know of, probably more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that race could move up, but she's not as vulnerable as she might be. Michael wants to know about Sid Miller's primary race. Um, I know it's on your list. It is. Um, how worried should Commissioner Miller be? Um, that's a dramatic race. Just yesterday, his primary opponent put out a video of um, the primary opponent stabbing a feral hog. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a great video. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what should they be? You know, how worried should Commissioner Miller be? I you know I think he should be worried. He's got a seriously he's got a serious opponent, and by serious mm-hmm. I mean Trey Blocker has enough money to prosecute this. You know, to to make this a race. 
when you're in this place on a ballot, he's in the middle of the statewide ballot, the number of people who really know who you are falls off dramatically. They know who the governor is. A lot of them know who the lieutenant governor is, and it starts to thin very quickly as you go down the ballot. So Sid Miller is known to Republican primary voters, but he's not like the name on the tip of your tongue. That's the first thing. Second thing is his opponent has enough money so that those voters will know both Sid Miller's name and Trey Blocker's name. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is that Sid Miller has made some, he's made a lot of headlines that either endeared him or not endeared him to his voters. And this election really is a referendum on Miller's behavior. There was the headline about going to Oklahoma to get what the rodeo cowboys call a Jesus shot to Mm -hmm. ease his back pain. There was a trip to Mississippi to rodeo out there. There have been a number of tweets and things uh, that might cause some to call question on Sid Miller. And really, we don't know if they have until those people vote and they say, I I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with that. And I think Commissioner Miller's full spec headline was when he gave amnesty to cupcakes, right? Cupcake amnesty was big. You yeah. know, some people are for cupcake amnesty. <laughs> um, tread, tread carefully here. <laughs> I, I can't remember when I, if you can't, that's fine too. But what was his um, favorability, unfavorability, like just general know-how in the last Texas Tribune UT Austin poll? We, we haven't tested him on favorable, okay. unfavorable. He's, and this is actually, you know, illustrative of the problem is you get to a point in the thing where you've asked people what, how they feel about this one and that one and this one and that one, and you get so far down the line that you just stop asking because the question stops making sense. So that's somewhere above the, the agriculture commissioner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Eric wants to know, Eric asked a question about how, you know, the Bushes have all this negativity. You know, um, you know, people say all the time, no more Bushes, no more Bushes. What kind of trouble is Land Commissioner George P. Bush in his race? He's facing former Commissioner Jerry Paddleson um, and two other candidates, I think. A couple of other candidates. candidates, yeah. How much trouble is he in? Well, he's, you know, you're in trouble whenever you've got an opponent. You know, elections are serious deals and you can't take them for granted. Uh, George W. Bush, the former governor, former president, had a great line when he was running the first time Mm -hmm. back in 94. You know, when you run for office and your name is George Bush, you get all of your father's enemies and half of his friends. Uh, George P. Bush is like in the third or fourth generation of this, you know. And um, anybody who liked or didn't like George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Jeb Bush, you know, is likely to, um, you know, project those feelings onto George P. Bush. So he's got all of that going on. That helped him in some ways. You know, when he ran for office, he had never run for office before. He shows up on a statewide ballot, and the first thing that happened when he declared in 2014 or before the 2014 elections was all the other Republicans got scared and ran away. So it can help you. But it's also in a race like this in a Republican Party that has shifted away from the, you know, some of the philosophies that marked the Bushes in Republican politics. George Bush may be a mixed name. Jerry Patterson's betting on that. He's got particular problems with his successor on how he's managed the office, how he's managed the Alamo um, and, and that transition, and how he's taking care of housing after Hurricane Harvey. Those are the issues that are being debated in this campaign. And, you know, I think George P. has to take that seriously. Is um, Jerry Patterson going after, you know, he may benefit from some of the um, anti-Bush feelings and sentiment, but he's not attacking Commissioner Bush Oval being a Bush, is he? No, he said at his announcement, I thought this was interesting, Jerry Patterson came in and said, you know, I'm a big fan of George H.W. Bush. I worked with George W. Bush, but I have to say that in the Republican primary, George Bush is not necessarily a positive name right now. Gotcha. 
Um, so he's counting on that. Now, uh, Bush has in this race uh, much deeper pockets, much more resources to bring to this. When you, If you're judging this race by what you see on TV, it's going to be a Bush runaway. But I think you're far enough down the ballot that um, a lot of people don't have strong feelings about it. And a lot of people remember Jerry Patterson. He's been on the ballot a lot. Um, we're getting a lot of questions on Facebook. Keep them coming. We'll get to as many as we can before we wrap up. Um, Fulls questions are the easy ones. We're going to answer quickly. Simret asks, how is Beto looking? And this is about primary races, not the general election. So Beto wouldn't make your list because he's going to win his primary easily. Right. Well, I think he's going to. Right. You know, uh, you know the uh, all the signs are that he's um, the only really known candidate in that race. He's one of three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would expect him to win that primary. He's got this uh, positioning benefit in that people aren't really talking about him as a primary candidate. They're talking about him as a general election candidate. So the assumption is that he's going to win. Um, we'll see if that's right. And you're going to have a general election hot list later this year, Oh, right? sure. There, there'll be a runoff hot mm-hmm. list. You know, a bunch of these races, I left off races that had a cabillion candidates in right. them. So like in the 21st congressional district where Lamar Smith decided not to run after three decades in Congress. There's 18 Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let let's let the voters sort that out. We'll talk about it in the runoff. <laughs> That's not our job. <laughs> but, but, the, but the runoffs are going to be interesting in a lot of these races. Right. In the Democratic primary for governor, there are nine candidates. Mm-hmm. So it's not on my list. It's a high interest race, but it's not really on this list. Right. Your chances are better of getting on this list if there's a serious challenge to an incumbent. That's not the sole way on, but, you know, we're a seat could flip from one faction of your party to another, or later in the election year in a general election from one party to the other. Okay. Um, Karen is asking, anything coming for your hot list around Texas 31, Congressional District? Texas 31. Yeah. I have to, you know, sorry. I'm, I'm going to blank on the number. Gotcha. I um, I don't know. Karen, if you can give us a list of candidates or a name of candidate, we can get back to you on that. Um, Gary is asking, is Scott... Mildor, a serious candidate for lieutenant governor. Is lieutenant governor's race on your hot list, and where of so? He's a serious candidate. He has not been able to make uh, real uh, headway in uh, name ID mm-hmm. and getting known to right. voters. Uh, voters have to know there's a choice. They have to know what the two people are about. Dan Patrick is spending a ton of money. He's the incumbent lieutenant governor. Uh, I think his last report uh, listed $5.7 million in spending. That's a guy who's running for re-election as if he has a very, very serious opponent. Scott Milder doesn't have the resources yet. And, you know, you have to have a certain number of resources to at least get enough on the radar that voters know that they've got a choice in what it means. Okay. Um, Scott is asking, what are the best resources you rely on to learn more about all the candidates, especially those in the middle of the ballot that just aren't drawing much attention? If you were a voter and you were curious about, like, just generally being like an insider and like, you know, tracking everything, what would you do and what would you, you know, resources? The first place to start, and this sounds, you know, really elementary, but, it, you know, it's it's often a really, you know, deep resource both for and against a candidate <laughs> is l- look at their websites. Yeah. Some of them are really interesting. Some of them, you know, will tell you, they'll always tell you things you don't know. Um, but I would look at that. I would look at their Facebook posts. I would look at their Twitter f- posts. Uh, and then I would just kind of go out from there. You know, what are the people who are commenting on them positively or negatively? What are those people like? Where do you see, you know, I see my friend Bobby is looking at this. I'm going to look at this, you know, those mm. kinds of things. The Look for um, news stories. And um, the other thing that I do a lot, and you can do a lot in individual communities, is talk to your friends who are more involved and talk to the friends that you know who are deeply or who are touching one campaign or the other campaign. Right. 
that's where you get your info. And if you're looking for just a list of candidates too to get started, <laughs> both the Secretary of State's website and all website has those lists. There's that, and you know, one other thing I would look at is the Ethics Commission. Mm -hmm. uh, Texas Ethics Commission is uh, www.ethics.state.tx.us. That's the campaign spending stuff, and you can often tell things by who's giving a candidate money. Is it people that you know? Do you know something about? I don't know anything about the candidate, but I know something about these donors. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know anything about the candidate, but I know something about these people that he's spending money on or these things that he's spending or she's spending money on. Gotcha. Um, all of those things are useful information. Um, Brooke wants to know, thoughts on District 99, Charlie Guerin versus Beau French? Uh, that's on my hot list. Uh, Charlie Guerin and Beau French are in a You've race for the second times, time. Right? Yeah, yeah uh, this is the second time around. It's one of those weird races where the incumbent, Charlie Guerin, is a family friend of the French's. So it's, you know, awkward. Um, but it's a, a race between, you know, Charlie Guerin is one of the top lieutenants to Joe Strauss, generally, you know, considered part of that moderate or establishment part of the Republican Party. Beau French is from the conservative end of the pool. You know, uh, said in a story that we ran this morning that if he got into the House, he'd want to join the Freedom Caucus, which is some of the constitutional conservatives in the House. So there's two factions of the Republican Party here, and this is one of those test cases where you're sort of seeing one party uh, factions battling with each other. Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting race. How does the Freedom Caucus break on your list? Are they... You know, should they read your hot list and be like, oh, yeah, or would your hot list be like, oh, we're in trouble? Like, what? Well, the hot list doesn't say, you know, this side's going to win or that side's right. going to win. I'm not making predictions. Okay. I'm just saying these are interesting races for mm -hmm. this reason or that. There are a number of races where in the Republican primary, one faction of the party is up against another faction of the party. And I, you know, think those are very interesting races because in some ways, the winners of those races are going to guide you know, what kind of legislature we get come January of next year. Right. We have a few more minutes. We're wrapping up soon. We're still getting questions. We'll keep dropping them in. We'll get to the main them as possible. Um, one question is about House District 60, Mike Lang versus Jim Logent. Um, yeah. You know, what, what, what are your thoughts about that district? Mike Lang's a conservative who is being challenged by somebody from the education community. Mm -hmm. This is another one of those factional differences. Um, Lang won the seat away from Jim Keffer after Keffer got out of the House and, um, you know, this is a question of whether the Freedom Caucus kind of candidate can hold on to a seat. Is Lang officially Freedom Caucus or just like kind of aligned with him? He's, a, he's kind of aligned with him. I'm not sure if he's an actual member. Gotcha. Uh, it's a member by invitation only. I don't mm -hmm. have a list in front of me. But, <laughs> you, but didn't, you didn't knock on your door at midnight. And he's generally not one of Strauss's uh, guys. That's gotcha. one way to look at the House. Um, okay. Although everybody in the House voted for Strauss a year ago, you know, some of them want some distance from him. Um, I think Largent and Lang are on opposite sides of, you know, kind of the debate over school finance and education right now. Would Largent be a Strauss guy? I don't know. You know, he's not going to have to worry about it. Joe Strauss isn't coming back. Yeah. So. Um, Lisa wants to know, why is HD 46 on your hot list? HD 46 is the Donna Dukes race. Yeah. That's, a Dal that's an Austin race. Donna Dukes has been in the news for a long time. She at one point said, I'm not going to run for re-election. A bunch of people jumped into the race. She came back and said, I am going to run for re-election. A bunch of those people didn't jump out. <laughs> and so we've got this very, very competitive district. She's been in a wrangle that she won, really, with the uh, county prosecutors over you know whether she was properly using funds from her office and properly using her staff mm -hmm. as a state official. Uh, those charges were all dropped. She's been cleared on all of that. 
but it muddied the waters quite a bit. Uh, there's a former city councilwoman in that race, uh, Cheryl uh, Cole. There's a well-financed candidate, Chito Vela, in that race. A couple of others in there. Uh, it's a case where an incumbent has a very tough reelect in her own primary. Okay. We all still getting questions, so Ross, I want to ask you how you're doing on time. You got a few more minutes? I'm fine, sure. All right. Um, Nicholas wants to know, what do you think of Lindsey Fagan's race? Lindsey Fagan, help me. Um, I am Sierra, could you look up um, tw 26? Is that a congressional house? House, Texas House District 26. U.S. House, sorry, U.S. House 26. U.S. 26. Uh, it's not really on my radar yet. Okay, nothing yep. to think about, Dale. Um, those are all the questions we have for now, so we're going to wrap up in a second or two. Ross, what can people look to going forward from your hot list? How often is it going to update? What's going to change? We're How gonna, can they follow? We're going to update every week. You know, you're waiting for, um, you know, you've sort of got all of the people in the competition now. You know, once mm -hmm. you've really started the, the clock running, election voting starts on Tuesday of next week. And so the candidates are really doing this, you know, in earnest now. This is where you find out which candidates do well and which candidates don't. You know, it's a little bit, you know, the if you want to make an analogy to the Olympics, this is where you find out, you know, who lands on their tail on the ice and who completes the double axle. You know, it's um, it's a question of who does well in the election, um, whether their opponent is doing well, whether they're doing well, who who messes up what comes on the radar, what comes off the radar. And you just kind of watch that conversation go, and the list is sort of intended to reflect that conversation as it goes on. All right. One last question. Jackson wants to know, thoughts on HD23, Faircloth versus Middleton. Does that shake up on your list? Or? Faircloth versus Middleton is, an, is the third of the races that the governor is involved in. Right. Uh, Greg Abbott has endorsed uh, Mays Middleton, um, who's a conservative um, and is challenging Wayne Faircloth, who somehow got the governor's ire. Mm -hmm. uh, Faircloth, it's a Republican primary, so it's the governor running against a Republican incumbent. Gotcha. And, you know, that one's on my hottest list. That's a pretty tough race for Faircloth. Okay. Sounds great. Well, thank you for watching. We really appreciate all the questions and appreciate you guys tuning in. We're going to end this um, live video now, but stay tuned for Ross's hot list. We'll have more updates for you starting on Monday and going through to the election. And we're looking forward to that. Thank you guys. Have a good day. Thanks. Don't stand. Sorry. That was easy.